Acts chapter 14. And I just want to read one verse. I don't very often do this, but I do want to use it tonight as a springboard into a thought and give you just a few things that I've had on my heart. My intention had been to continue with uh, the second part of our series out of Revelation chapter 2, but I want to mind the Lord tonight. And I did not believe that that was the Lord's mind, so we'll, we'll just pray and try to be submitted to Him. Acts chapter 14, look with me at verse number 26. The Bible says, "...and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled." I want to read that phrase again. "...from whence they sailed, uh, they have, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Now, I want to preach to you tonight on this thought. May I recommend grace to you. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you bless your word. Use it fruitfully, Lord, and use it to move our lives and our hearts closer to you. I love you tonight, Lord, and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in this day that we live in, there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different uh, quote-unquote truths that are preached. And uh, certainly even in Christianity today, uh, Brother Larry was talking about those that believe in a work salvation. And can I say that the idea of grace in the life of the believer is not as commonly held as you would think. We live in a day where everything's vying for the attention of God's people and the doctrinal belief of those that claim to know Jesus Christ. But as I read my Bible, I find my Bible to be a book about grace. It's grace all the way through. You say, preacher, wasn't there the law? Yes, there was a law, but the Bible says that even before the law, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And all through the Word of God, you'll find a holy God that has no reason uh, to move in the lives of His creation that does so as an act and an expression of His grace. We saw in our text that little word, recommend. I got to thinking about that. What does it mean to recommend something? And to my heart and mind, it means basically three things. It denotes, first off, a personal experience. I mean, if you know anything, you know that you ought not recommend things that you don't know anything about. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, you know, we uh, go out to eat every single Sunday, and uh, we do that to avoid the drive home, and uh, we probably spend more money eating out than we would if we just went home and ate a bologna sandwich, amen? But we do it anyway, and we're always looking for places to eat that might be good. Let me ask you a question. You ever had somebody recommend a restaurant to you? You got there, and it was basically dog food. Ever happened to you before? Probably to a few of you. That person may have never set foot in that place, amen? They may have just been trying to pull one on you. Typically, we recommend something that we've experienced, something that we know firsthand. And when we recommend something, we recommend something that we have personal experience concerning, but we recommend something that was personally effectual. In other words, something that made a difference in our lives. We don't recommend something that doesn't work, do we? We don't recommend something that didn't make a difference in our life. There's a superstar, you know, basketball players and movie stars and and uh, prominent people in the world's eyes that have what they call endorsements. And that's basically where you'll see a fellow on TV and there'll be a Nike swoosh across the screen. It'll say, just do it or something like that. And he's associating his name with something. Why does he do that? Well, he does that, I hope anyways, because it works. Because it's been effectual in his life. It's changed something for him. And then I think there's a third reason that we might recommend something. Uh, the idea that we would desire for others to have a part of it, a personal endorsement. I mean, hey, listen, when you get something good, you ought to want to share it. Don't that make sense? 
I mean, when, when you get something in your life that's a blessing, and going back to the restaurants, I've eaten at a few of them before, uh, that I just about wanted to go back and find the person that told me about it and give them a big hug, amen? I mean, it was just best hamburger or best pasta or best pizza or whatever it might have been that I've sunk my teeth into. And they had something good in their life that they wanted to share with those around them. Uh, you know that I believe all three of these things are true for the believer about grace. Uh, can I say that grace is something that I have experienced? Uh, you say, preacher, we don't experience grace. Well, maybe you haven't, but I have. I, I, I've known it in my life, what it is for God to bestow abundance and blessing and His will and His person and the person of Jesus Christ into my life. And uh, I would say tonight that I wouldn't recommend works to you. I wouldn't recommend works to you. You say, preacher, aren't we supposed to uh, walk in good works? Sure, we're supposed to walk in good works. But listen, if you're trusting your good works to get you to heaven, I wouldn't recommend that to you. I, I know a lot of people in the Word of God that did a lot of good things, but they split hell wide open because they tried to get there by works and not by grace. I wouldn't recommend baptism to you tonight. You say, preacher, aren't we as believers supposed to be baptized? Sure we are. The Bible teaches that after we're born again, baptism is an act of obedience, an outward expression of the decision that we've made and the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. But listen, they can dunk you so many times that you're waterlogged and it won't get you to heaven. When it comes to salvation, I, I, I can't recommend baptism to you. Do you know I can't recommend the church to you? You say, preacher, isn't the church him? Sure, the church is important. Hey, I love the church. I love it so much. I'm in one right now. Somebody say amen. I mean, I love the church, but if you're looking for the church to get you to heaven, I can't recommend that to you. I want to recommend three things about grace tonight. I just want to give them to you quickly. Uh, maybe it's a personal challenge for me to preach a short message. Amen. You don't know, but you can believe that and it'll make you feel better along until about 930 and you'll realize he's wrong. Amen. I want to say, first off, that I recommend grace to you for salvation. Look with me in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. Ephesians, chapter number 2, very familiar passage of Scripture. And I just want to touch on these. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Look what it says in verse number 8. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And it's interesting, you know, Ephesians, we might say, is the epistle of grace. It deals with grace in a, a way that no other New Testament epistle does. I mean, the book of Romans deals with grace, but it doesn't deal with the inner workings of grace like Ephesians does. The book of Hebrews deals with grace and with faith, but it doesn't deal with it like the book of Ephesians does. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, most of you could quote it, says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And hey, listen, God said, just in case you're wondering and I'm not clear enough, verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, it's hard, friend. You've got to confuse that on purpose if you're going to miss that. I mean, that's about as simple as it gets. The Bible teaches that there's no good works. Listen, I know this Sunday night crowd praise night. I get that. I understand that. Uh, I understand most of us are saved or at least have a salvation testimony. But I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about grace when it comes to salvation. I, I think we ought to know what each other are talking about when we talk about it. And I'm thankful that it's not by works. I touched on this this morning. Wouldn't it be awful? I'm going to preach at the young people for a little while. They're stuck over here on the corner anyway. Wouldn't it be horrible, young people, to have always wondered if you're saved? You know, if you're trying to get in heaven by your good works, you'd always wonder. You'd always wonder if you were good enough or bad, too bad. You'd always wonder. Wouldn't matter. You'd say, well, I'm a pretty good kid. Yeah, but are you as good as Jesus Christ? You'd always wonder. 
Wouldn't it be awful to try to get to heaven by baptism? How many different types of baptism does professing Christendom practice? Now, I understand, brethren, the Bible teaches baptism by immersion. That's what the name baptize means. The word, it means to, uh, uh, to fully whelm, to put completely over your head. You won't find, you know, there is a different Greek word for sprinkling. And it's used in the book of Hebrews. Uh, so nowhere could we correlate sprinkling with baptism. Sprinkling is referencing the cleansing of the conscience that takes place by the blood of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews. But it never references baptism. But wouldn't it be awful? We're trying to get to heaven by baptism. You'd always wonder what was the right kind. You'd wonder if I ought to be dunked. Should I be uh, poured? Should I be, should I be sprinkled? Should I just run around and somebody super soaker me? Amen. You'd always wonder. But the Bible is explicitly clear that it's always by grace. It's not by our own works, not by works of our own righteousness, but by His grace and His blood and His faith that we are saved. Uh, we don't get saved by being a good person. We're made a good person through being saved. Oh, well, we don't get baptized so that we can be saved. We get baptized because we've been saved. And if you read the Word of God, you'll find no single shred of a work salvation all the way through. A work salvation boasts in the glory of the flesh. A work salvation proclaims that I am able to attain salvation. Let me ask you something. If God had to send His Son to die for our sins to pay for them, why would we think that our puny attempts at righteousness could do the same job? That just doesn't make sense tonight, beloved. It just doesn't make sense. I'd recommend grace to you when it comes to salvation. Let me give you a second thing, though. You might say, oh, well, preacher, I know that grace and salvation go hand in hand. I understand salvation is by grace. But look with me in the book of Titus, chapter number 2. Titus, chapter number 2. I believe I'd recommend grace to you when it comes to salvation. But I believe I'd recommend grace to you for sanctification. Titus chapter 2. Look with me at verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let me make a simple statement tonight. Sanctification is not merely gaining victory over sins in our life. Sanctification is becoming more Christ-like. You say, what's the difference? Well, it's the difference between being separated from the world and being separated to God. The, there's many denominations that are separated from the world. In fact, you could uh, you could go up into Pennsylvania country and some other uh, states up uh, a little bit north of us, and you would find Amish communities, and uh, you would find a group of people that have completely isolated themselves from modern technology and conveniences. And you're not going to find much different a group or sect of people in this country than the Amish people. But do you know that the Amish believe in a work salvation? They believe in an inner light that dwells within them, an inner goodness that has to be magnified and encouraged. And they believe that through their isolationism and through their good works are going to attain the favor of God. You know what you'll find? You'll find a group of people, by and large, say, Preacher, are you telling me there's no Amish people that are saved? Oh, sure there are. A lot of you thought you was looking at one whenever I came here to pastor. You know that? But uh, sure there are. I'm sure there are some. But according to their doctrine, you know what you find? You find whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. 
They're separated from the world, but they're not separated unto God. And sanctification is not merely clean living. Sanctification is Christ-like living. Sanctification is not merely putting away outward sins, but it is a surrendering of the whole being to the person of Jesus Christ and the superimposition of His life upon ours. That's what sanctification is. And so the Bible uses the language teaching us. And it doesn't just stop with the ungodliness and the worldly lust, but it says looking for that blessed hope. Listen, grace can change you. Grace can change you. Grace can give you the victory that you don't think you can get. Grace can give you the power with God that you don't think you can get. You didn't earn it, so it must have come by grace if you've got it. Uh, Some of you are struggling with sins in your life. Join the club, amen? (laughs) We all struggle. How do we get victory? We get victory through the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, You say, what is grace? We saw talk about grace and we say God's riches at Christ's expense. And I believe that's accurate. I'm not trying to deny that. But could I use the term abundance to you tonight? Abundance. Any and everything and all of the person of Jesus Christ, all of the blessings that He's given to us, that's grace. That's grace. We speak of God's riches at Christ's expense because we speak of the attainment of those things. But grace is God bestowing upon us all of the person of Jesus Christ, not through our own works, but through His good favor and through His love and through His mercy. And so when we speak about grace, we're not just speaking about Christ dying on Calvary. Now, of course, Christ dying on Calvary purchased the grace of God to us and purchased salvation full and free. But when we speak of grace, we're speaking of all the help that God gives us. We're speaking about all the strength that God gives us from day to day. And the Bible tells me that if I want to live holy before God, I'm going to do it by grace. I was teaching the Sunday school class this morning, and this may be so oversimplified to you, you can go ahead and go to sleep. We'll wake you up when we eat the sandwiches. But, but this blessed me, and I guess I knew this, but you know, sometimes you'll read a passage and it'll just look different than it ever looked before. You ever had that happen to you before? And uh, I, I was reading in John chapter 15, I believe it's uh, verse number 4, when Christ says, For without me ye can do nothing. Now we know that, we know that, we know that. But I got to thinking about something, Ralph. That means if we're going to do anything for God, He expects us to do it by His grace. Anything. Not just the big things, but anything in our life. Hey, listen, if we're going to be faithful to the Lord, we're going to have to do it with His help. We're not going to do it through sheer determination and willpower. Because in my flesh, Paul said, dwelleth no good thing. Your determination and willpower is not enough to keep you faithful to the Lord. Your determination and willpower is not enough to keep you in the prayer closet, to keep you in a devotional life, to keep you reading the Word of God, to keep you uh, your flesh under control and to keep you walking in a spiritual testimony before others. Your sheer willpower is not enough to do that. You know why? Because your will, that part of you that has to be broken for God to operate in your life, is determined to go the opposite way of God. The Bible says that the uh, carnal man, the carnal man is enmity at enmity with God. He's contrary to God. He cannot understand the things of God. He cannot receive the things of God. Your willpower is the very problem in your life. It's not the solution. The grace of God is the solution in your life. 
Your will is what has to be broken. Your will is what has to be annihilated. You have to come to a place. Let me put it as plain as I can tonight, church. You have to come to a place where you know you can't do it. And so you effectually, day by day, call upon Him to help you and obey Him in His leading and trust Him in His grace. I'd recommend grace to you for sanctification, Ralph. I'm going to give you one last thing. Some of you just had a heart attack, but I am one last thing. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Most of you know exactly where we're going right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd say I'd recommend grace to you for salvation. And I'd recommend grace to you for sanctification. But can I say tonight that I'd recommend grace to you for sufficiency. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, Paul speaking, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And listen to what God says. And He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what God said to Paul? God said, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. Paul said, I'm sick and I want healing. God said, my grace is enough. Paul said, I'm weary, and I need rest. And God said, my grace is enough. Now, you see, we look at that, and that, that seems almost a little cold and disconnected to us. But do you know why? Because we're used to hearing it from parents. Amen. Uh, you know, when you was little, you might go to your parent, and you might say, well, I want more of this or more of that. And they'd say, no, that's enough. Or maybe, I heard that when I was in trouble. <laughs> That's why I snap my finger like that. I'm used to hearing Dad do that. That's enough. <laughs> and we're used to hearing it in a negative connotation. But you know that little phrase, sufficient? That implies, in that, in that one word, that implies the wherewithal to serve God in any circumstance. That implies the wherewithal to have joy no matter your tribulation. That implies the wherewithal to be effective for God no matter what kind of opposition you face. Can I say to you tonight that grace has always been sufficient? Always been sufficient for me. Works isn't sufficient, but grace always is. Maybe you're struggling tonight. You wouldn't be the first, probably wouldn't be the last, and probably wouldn't be the only one in this room. Can I say grace is sufficient to meet your needs? Grace is sufficient to comfort you where you find no comfort. You say, oh, I don't know what you mean, preacher. You're talking in platitudes. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. When we get alone with God and seek only His presence and His abundance and His blessing and His uh, holiness in our life, we'll find it sufficient. We'll find it satisfying. That's what sufficient means, isn't it? It means satisfactory. If you say, that's sufficient, you know what you're saying? You're saying, that's enough. I don't need any more. And grace always satisfies. You may be lonely. Can I say grace is sufficient to give you the company and encouragement that you need? You may be worried. You probably wouldn't be the first. Can I say grace is enough to calm your anxieties? 
you may be struggling with sin in your life. Can I say grace is sufficient to give you the victory? Preacher, you don't know how big of a sin it is. I don't care how big of a sin it is because God gave me a principle. You know what He said? He said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I don't care how big of a sin it is in your life. You can have victory through the grace of God. Through submitting to Him, through yielding to Him, through praying for His help and strength, you can have victory through that sin. You can have victory over it. It's always sufficient. Most of the time, the reason we're so unsatisfied is we haven't tried grace. Most of the time, the reason we're so unsatisfied, we've, hey, we get a problem in life, we go to everybody but the Lord about it. We get a problem in life and we, we start going to everybody to fix it except the Lord who's able. We get worries in our life and we go to everyone around us to calm us who don't know the future, who aren't the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end and the author and finisher of our faith. And we go to them to try to get the encouragement instead of going to the one that holds the worlds in his hands. He's the one we ought to be going to for the encouragement that we need. The reason we're so unsatisfied, we're trying everything but grace. We're trying our own will, and that's not working. We're trying our own works, and that's not working. We're, we're trying to puff ourselves up in our own egos, and that's not working. The only thing that's going to work for you tonight is grace. The only thing that's going to work for you tonight. I don't care what your problem is. The only thing that's going to work for you tonight is grace. <laughs> but can I say that grace is abundant, and grace is free, and grace is available for you and I? That's grace. That's a very, uh, by the very definition of grace, that's what grace is. Grace is something available. You know that grace wouldn't be grace if it wasn't available. But because it's available, it's grace in our lives. When we speak of grace, we speak of His abundance. Grace means His abundance is available. It's available to you tonight. I, I, I couldn't listen. I, I'm not the type of people that ever drag somebody down an, uh, an, an aisle, but even if I did, it wouldn't do you any good. You've got to make the decision tonight. I mean, listen, they might, we might be able to get several people on you and, and drag your body down the aisle, but we'll never get your heart down the aisle. You've got to be the one to make that decision tonight. But can I make you a promise? Can I make you a promise that if you'll choose Jesus Christ for your life tonight, He'll never leave you wanting. You'll never be unsatisfied. You say, preacher, I'm already saved. Hey, just because we're already saved, that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ has our whole life. You give your life to Him tonight, and you'll find His grace is sufficient. I don't care what your need or problem is. I don't care what the task is at hand. His grace is always sufficient.